Welcome back to Library Media Chatter, the podcast that is holding out hope that all of the lost books magically returned themselves over the summer. I'm Dan Wright, Library Media Specialist at Oakville and Melville High Schools. And I'm Greg Baum, Library Media Specialist at Rockwood Summit High School. Greg, it's great to be back with you. Yeah, this is a real treat for me. Yeah. Coming up later. And a real treat for you. I yeah, feel well, like I no, I, I, I blew right past that opportunity. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, I just, well, message received. <laughs> message received. Coming up later, Greg will regale us with tales of his summer walking American footpaths instead of the British footpaths he keeps droning on about and bird watching, two Trying of his biggest hobbies. <laughs> but now, what I really need to know. Greg, what are you reading? Oh, this is perfect, Dan, because I actually am reading another of my nonfiction nature writing books. And you will be pleased and feel a patriotic tingle, which (laughs) I I believe you were looking for. Well, uh, is that Lee Greenwood, I hear? (laughs) To know that this author is American. He's a U.S. citizen. Wow. Oh, gosh, I hope he is. What if he's Canadian? I'm going to look this up while oh, you're talking. Oh, man, I could have really said Or we'll save it here. for the next episode. Yeah, we'll save see. that reveal for next. Barry Lopez. Barry Lopez is the author, and the book is called Of Wolves and Men. And it is very good so far. It is, as the title may suggest, both about wolves <laughs> and about humans. Uh, it's a, it is, it's kind of one of those uh, cross genre books that are, cro- I should say cross subject because it's like history, literature, even some mythology. And it's just kind of, kind of thinking its way through the history of <clears throat> wolves and human beings and how those two have intersected across time um, and kind of making a case for uh, greater conservation efforts. And okay. so, yeah, just really interesting. His his most famous book is called Arctic Dreams, which is about the Arctic. <laughs> These titles do kind of explain themselves. I'll be honest, I really appreciate it because if yeah. I'm reading nonfiction, I don't need a title that makes me think it's about one thing. And it's right. very clearly not right. by the time I get to reading it. Yeah. Well, anyway, he's Barry. great. So if, if you have not read a Barry Lopez book... Um, you should, and also stay tuned in episode 14 to find out whether he is a U.S. citizen or Canadian. Oh, I, I can't make us wait. Uh, oh. I looked this up. Oh, uh, I have some good news and some bad Oh, news. gosh. Is he a dual citizen? No, the good news is he's American from sea to shining sea. <laughs> is he dead? He was born in Port Chester, New York. Oh, okay. Bad news is he died. Oh. But in Eugene, Oregon. So he went. Oh, all he really did go see this. Oh yeah. my god! A true American. Oh yeah. This is hey. now episode thirteen, the Barry Lopez Memorial episode. Yeah. Of Library Media Chatter. Well, this is what he would have wanted, Dan. Yes. Yeah. So I, I believe that's correct. Yeah. Based on the Wikipedia entry, <laughs> yes. I believe that is correct. Oh gosh. Okay. I really got to do my research next time. <laughs> All those birthday cards I kept sending him. (laughs) Well, it's only been a couple years, so you're okay. Okay. He just hasn't been responding the last few. (laughs) Okay. So you're all right. It's not anything you did (laughs) with this author. I can't speak for the others that stopped responding, but for this author. Larry Block. Can't get a peep out of that guy. 
all I could think when you started talking about of wolves and men is the decade plus I spent teaching of mice and men oh. over and over and over again. And yes. I wasn't sure how this is going to be related to that. Yes. And it turns out in no way is no. it related to it. So no. uh, good, good for Barry. Yeah. Yeah. Put his own spin on it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's, he reclaimed it. <laughs> All right. What about you? What are you reading? Uh, I am reading, uh, I just finished reading uh, a book from an author who's north of the border, ah. uh, Brian Lee O'Malley's Seconds. It's a graphic novel. Brian okay. Lee O'Malley, you may know the name because he wrote the Scott Pilgrim books. Oh, yeah. And I really enjoyed those. I read those for the first time uh, earlier this year or late last year. Really enjoyed it. I went back and rewatched the movie. I really liked that. Uh, I was, I'm still a little bit on the fence if I want to buy it for my, either of my school's collections. There wasn't really anything in it that I think I should be worried about or uh, nervous of. I'm, I'm not sure how much of, a, of an audience there is in teens right now for yeah. the kind of like emo, punk, grunge, teen early 20s kind of trying to figure out life by not really doing anything like I don't know yes. what what there is for that yes. uh, but I was interested in the author so I picked up seconds uh, which follows a female protagonist who is in a similar kind of space in life she has a really successful restaurant she wants to start another one that can kind of be all her own and <laughs> in the restaurant that she lives in and the house spirit gives her this one mushroom and instructions that like, if something goes poorly, if you in, write down what you wish you could have fixed, ingest the mushroom and go to sleep, the problem will be solved. Oh. Shock of shocks, because it's an entire book and not the world's shortest anecdote. <laughs> um, it goes pretty well the first time but not as well as it could have gone. Uh, yes. So then the book is just constantly going, uh, having more of these mushrooms and having more adventures and more things go wrong and trying to kind of realize how you could be happy in your own situation as is uh, or fixing things yourself. Um, cool book, cool protagonist, clever idea. Uh, I love the multiple meanings of the title seconds. Um, it was enjoyable. Again, I'm not positive if I'm going to buy it for my library, but it's not based on quality. It was just more, maybe I start with Scott Pilgrim and see if there's a, an interest in him as an author. Yeah. Uh, but I'm going to find more of his stuff because he's, he's really good. Oh, nice. So, and Canadian. So we had to balance well, each other out this time right. around. That's yeah. right. You couldn't just be uh, all American all the time, Greg. It's not that kind huh. of. I I hear a different tune now that <laughs> now that you are the one reading. Well, we don't really have more time for this because we need to take a short break. So we'll just trust that Greg is all about American stuff <laughs> only when it matters to him. <laughs> and we'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by the Dewey Decimal Number Eight One Two which means school might have been out for summer, but do we know our Dewey is forever? I'm going to name books with call numbers that start 812, and Greg is going to guess what that section is all about. Greg, are you ready? 
I'm ready. Highlights from this Dewey number include A Streetcar Named Desire by Tennessee Williams, One Act Plays for Acting Students, an anthology of short one-act plays for one, two, or three actors, edited by Norman A. Burt. I'm Norm. <laughs> William Shakespeare's The Taming of the Clueless by Ian Basher. Ah. Great Scenes for Young Actors, Volume 2, edited by Craig Slate and Jack Scharer. Mm-hmm. And Jitney mm. by August Wilson. Mm. This sounds Craig. like a collection <laughs> yep. curated by Dan Wright. Who could know? Greg, what's the theme of this section? Uh, Dan, I'm going to, as uh, I have learned in every online forum, when someone asks a straightforward question. Yes. So, so for example, on Reddit, on Quora, when there is a straightforward question, like how yeah. do I get this cockroach out of my house? Yeah. The correct, uh, what would we call it? The, like the etiquette yeah. is to answer with an incredibly long story. Phenomenal. Well, the first time I saw a cockroach was... Yes, yes. Uh, so what I will do is I will tell you a story that Great. I am currently weeding our 800s. Ooh. So I am neck deep in yeah. the best monologues of 1997. <laughs> and there Those was were one some for great boys, monologues. There was one for boys and there was one for girls. Sure. So, you know, that was the 90s when they did that kind of thing. Yeah. A, a, that benighted time. Yeah. Well, and those monologues so, are so high quality. You can't, you need to <clears throat> find some way to pare them down. There were so many good ones. Yeah, How do we break yeah. them up into multiple sections? Well, the 90s were just a real rich time for the monologue. Yeah. I, mean, oh, I, I feel believe, like that yeah. forum. Yeah. That, yeah. So I'm going to guess that the answer here is drama and theater. I want you to add a okay. location. To the front oh, of it. Oh, a location? Where does this drama come from in the oh. 812s? Okay. Uh, You've got Tennessee U- Williams. U.S.? U.S.? Congratulations, Greg. You did it. Yes! The answer here is American drama. Yes. Uh, when you get to the 822s instead of the 812s, you'll uh, find that it's British drama. Oh. Uh, and then it does that Dewey thing where you get like other drama from the world all right. categorized in the right. 42s or something right. like that. Yeah. So, uh, yes, American drama uh, by some of our Dewey, great American dramatists. Rascal. Yes. Yeah. Dewey. We thank you for your support of this episode mm-hmm. and continuing to support this podcast in another year. Thank you, Dewey. Welcome back to the podcast. It's time to answer the most important question of today, which is, Greg, what are you doing? <laughs> well, uh, you know, <clears throat> I just... As I told you, the etiquette for this kind of question is to tell an incredibly (laughs) long story. So I remember in 1997 when a hot copy of Beth, no, I don't know. We're weeding um, the 800s because we are doing a big shift. We are condensing our 800s because unfortunately the reality of, I don't know what to say, the curriculum, I guess, the language arts curriculum in my district is that literary analysis and literary criticism are no longer skills that are taught or I would argue that by some of the I mean people not valued and so 
we have tried to begin culling, you know, books that do not, that are kind of explicitly about that. We have kept kind of overviews on major authors, you know, and critical introductions to those authors, but like my 1996 postmodern literature, just the biographies, like that one I got rid of, you know, and so... So that's part of it. And then, um, you know, we just have a lot of, we, we moved some of the stuff because, you know, it's an evolving collection. And, and <clears throat> I think previously some of the books that would have gone into classics had been catalog- cataloged into the 800s sure. uh, before they genreified. And so we moved some of those to classics and, you know, just kind of things like that. And yeah. uh, we are planning on, uh, using the space we've opened up to buy more graphic novels. So that, <laughs> that very cool s- sentence and summary kind of tells you a lot about the shift of literature in yeah. uh, the 21st century. No, we uh, did a similar bit of weeding recently. We had a bunch of those Harold Bloom. Yeah, we have those too. Yeah. Uh, and had never been checked out. Yeah. And so I, having taught English, but in a different district, I was positive that I had never used one of those books uh, when I was teaching of Mice and Men or any of the other texts that we had the Bloom books on. Talk to the English department. They were kind of all in the same place. Most of the stuff we can find online or we can get in other places. Uh, So yeah, that was a a tremendous amount of weeding in the last year or so that we added to our 800s with more uh, drama and poetry and Uh collections like that. To kind of take that place, uh, we are certainly uh, always buying more manga and graphic novels uh, all the time. So those things take up room as well. Yeah. So yeah, finding those. What are those things that are less valued? That seems to be one of them for sure. I, those Edward Bloom books are like from 1998. Yeah. And I'm going. Oh, I wonder what's in this. And you can hear it creak as yeah. it opens because nobody's ever even looked yeah. at it, much less tried to open it. Yeah, and some of mine, the some of the pages haven't been cut. You know, like yeah. they just like. <clears throat> anyway. um, yeah. What about you? What are you doing, Dan? Uh, I am answering listener emails, Greg. Oh my gosh! Yes, a full time job. It is really a lot of work. Yeah, that's why it's been probably ten episodes since the last time we've had to do this. Yeah, when we could not stop talking about it. Yes, it was, and and <laughs> uh, I assume that person has gone on to be. Uh, on like celebrity editions of your favorite reality shows right. just from the mentions on here right she was yeah. certain she was in school library journal yeah so we know that things have only gotten better for well her. right and i assume the same will happen for the person we're about to talk about yeah um the questions that we're going to answer in this episode come from dane a self-described longtime binge listener <laughs> <laughs> i love Not- it not sure how that works. I love uh, it. But I do enjoy it quite a bit. And first time writer into the show. I'm assuming he's written other emails in this oh, one. Do not assume he learned he to write for this. Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll send him a message back and I'll yeah. see if this was literally yeah. the purpose that he learned <laughs> reading and writing. Yeah. It's really a remarkable story. Yeah. <laughs> we don't have time for it. Right. That's going to be in the companion <laughs> behind the scenes episode coming. Well, through. if I've learned anything about answering a simple question, Dan, it's yes, that you do go back story. and tell the whole story. That'll be episode 15 or so when we yeah. can get him on to yeah. explain why he thought this was the time to learn to write. 
Uh, Dane is a former part-time librarian and now an eighth grade ELA and social studies teacher. Uh, full disclosure, I also know this individual. Oh. Uh, he is not a random person. No. Uh, but yeah, it's. Um, I did not pressure anybody to write uh-huh. in. I did not pressure him to become uh-huh. literate just I to believe- write an email. In the, this is isn't this what they call a ringer? You know oh, where they've got like a sure. plant in the audience. I feel like I should cut that part. Yeah, let's cut yeah, this let's whole leave section. that out. Yeah. Um, so Dane asks two questions. He asks three questions, but we're only going to answer two of them uh, because we're in charge here. We'll and we want him to do a little more writing. <laughs> yes, he needs more practice. And we didn't want to. We didn't want to make him not yeah. feel like he should listen to future episodes. Right. We'll keep him hanging on in case right. we ever answer that other one <laughs> in a later episode. Yeah. His first question, uh, he says, "You had some tips on displaying books to students in the library. Are there any additional tips for organizing a classroom library?" Uh, Dane, the first thing that came to mind when I read that was uh, not necessarily what I had done when I was still an English teacher. Uh, but what I wish teachers would do now that I'm in school libraries, uh, I would strongly recommend that you try organizing your classroom library to match what your school library does. So if they are genrefied, that you genrefy your stuff. You keep your sci-fi books together and your fantasy together and your romance and your 10-minute mysteries and whatever else you have um and nonfiction kind of grouping categorically similarly um you don't need to put dewey numbers on everything um but that way when your students are in your room or uh in the library they'll be able to kind of know what section they like or if they're holding a sci-fi book and they go i don't know i like this one you go great go over to shelf number three it's right there that's a whole area that you could go uh to make their life easier greg any recommendations here yeah, I mean, as I think about this, I think about kind of like you, what I did as a teacher and what I wish I had done. So as a teacher, most of my classroom library was what I had inherited from other teachers, which meant the books tended to be pretty beat up, um, pretty outdated. And so and I and often might have been part of classroom sets that had just dissolved or popular fiction, but it had been popular 15 years ago. And so, I mean, and I I don't know kind of the extent of what Dane's thinking in terms of uh, reorganizing this uh, classroom library, but I think, you know, weeding is a good skill to apply in that setting and kind of making sure that kind of what you have is uh, not what you have that's good is not being crowded out by what's <laughs> nobody's ever going to read, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. So that, and then um, one thing that we've been doing in our library that I like, and that I think is effective is to uh, just do what you see in a lot of bookstores, especially independent bookstores, they'll have staff recommendations kind of posted by a book. If you know, the more you can do that with your own recommendations or with um you know, other students that you can recruit into recommending books. I think that would help the, what I always felt like I saw with my students in in the classroom library and is just magnified in um, the library that I work in now is that 
13 and 14 and 15 and 16 and 17 and 18 year olds often don't know what they want to read or even what they like to read. And so um, kind of the abundance of choice actually, I think, is counterproductive for them in some ways. So just helping them, the organization is, I guess, my thought with both of those comments is how can you help them narrow down what they might be interested in? So ideally, you're saying if you had four books total. So I don't want to creep you out, (laughs) Dan, after that talk, we had about psychic animals. I do not want to creep you out. But the number in my head was also four. Yeah, four total books. (laughs) Yeah. So you and I are really hitting our stride here. Yeah. I'm not, I'm assuming you said not creep me out. I'm assuming what you meant was um, I shouldn't be insulted that you're referring to me as a psychic animal, but I'll take that as a real compliment. Actually, Um, as a psychic animal, you did understand what I meant. (laughs) All right, Dane's second question. Uh, He said, you've mentioned a few local nonfiction uh, pieces in your reading. Are there any YA local authors or stories in the fiction realm that aren't widely well-known that need to be explored? Um, We put together a short list of authors. I don't know. I can't really speak to whether or not these are well-known. I know some of these names. Uh, Greg has met one of them for sure. Yes. a real and, person. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've seen one of them speak. So we know that two of these people are definitely <laughs> real. Um, beyond that, they could all just be made up. And it's all just one person writing under a bunch of pseudonyms. Who could know? Mm-hmm. Um, the first person on the list that we had is Z Brewer, who wrote um, the Chronicles of Vladimir Todd and the Slayer Chronicle series, among a few other things. And then uh, Anthony John, who is not local as far as where he's, he's not Barry Lopez, uh, <laughs> but he has taken on the St. Louis area yeah. uh, as his own. Uh, he wrote Five Flavors of Dumb and the Elemental series and a book called Mascot that came out a couple of years ago. Uh, he, I've seen him speak. He is a really interesting guy. He was like a, he's a, composer he's like a classical composer who decided well that's all well and good but what if i wrote cool books for teens uh and loves doing that in the st louis area so uh those are two to point out for sure yeah another two that i have on here um so brian catcher is from missouri and uh he's had a number of ya books that have gotten uh, attention. I think the one that I can think of right now is um, Almost Perfect, which is about, and I mean, this is some this is probably 10 years old at this point, but it's like, a, it's about a closeted trans girl still in high school. So, and I know he's had others. I just am, <clears throat> I'm blanking on the titles right now, but so Brian Catcher's another local author. I have two on here who are, <clears throat> oh, and well, let me give you one more YA exclusive author. Fred Venturini is a Southern Illinois um, YA author. He is the one that I met. He came and spoke at our high school and did a great job. He talks, I mean, his book, um, The Escape of Light, is that right? Did I get yeah, that right, Dan? That is yeah. correct. This is the, the was one of the book. gateway nominees for 2021 to 2022. And it was one of the finalists, I should say. And then two Authors who don't write specifically YA, but who are local and who I think would appeal to teen readers are Anne Leckie, 
who is really well known for um, her science, her uh, science fiction. And she's won a ton of awards for, I think the first one is Ancillary Justice. Um, and then Daniel Woodrell, who's another um, local author who writes, uh, I guess we would call it, I think he calls it Ozark Noir. <laughs> so like, if you like the show Ozark, you might enjoy these books. But the, his best known one, Winter's Bone, made into a movie with Jennifer Lawrence, yeah. um, is about a teen girl. And I think it's, we have it in our library. I think it's a great book written, I think for adults, but the teens can identify with the protagonist and connect. It's a, just a wonderfully written book. So yeah, he's on my list too. Very cool. So Dane, you're welcome. We've answered <laughs> your two of your three questions. Uh, yeah. And listeners just take this to heart. We will directly respond to you on other people's time. Yeah. We could write an email back to answer, but then other people don't have to listen to you getting the attention that you deserve. Yeah. So write in uh, and we will make that a thing that we're doing is responding to you during this segment. At great length. Yeah. So I'm excited now as we transition into the reader's nook and start a new year of discussing award-nominated books, Missouri award-nominated books. Um, and we are switching officially with this book from the gateways after the very successful Barnsey Awards uh, from last year. We are switching from the gateways to the <laughs> high school level dogwood. <clears throat> Those Barnseys, we got to find a way. We will be discussing gateways here and there uh, if nowhere else on the barn, the second annual Barnseys. Yeah. So be ready for oh, that. The Barnseys are not going away. That's definitely, definitely expanding. Yeah, that might just be an entire episode where we drop every other yeah. uh, segment and just go straight to the awards. Uh, but for this school year of episodes, we're going to focus on this year's Dogwood nominees. And the first one that we're going to look at is Blackbirds in the Sky by Brandy Colbert, unless you want to pronounce it Colbert, but I'm going to guess it's Colbert just because that's how I would pronounce that name if Stephen Colbert did not exist as a personality on television. <laughs> um, I'm going to read, this is kind of long, but I think it was well-written and it's, I mean, it's the publisher thing, but it kind of covers a lot of ground. So Greg and I don't have to go like, here's beat by beat what goes on in this book. And then we'll go from there. Okay. In the early morning of June 1st, 1921, a white mob marched across the train tracks in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and into its predominantly black Greenwood District, a thriving, affluent neighborhood known as America's Black Wall Street. They brought with them firearms, gasoline, and explosives. In a few short hours, they raised 35 square blocks to the ground, leaving hundreds dead. The Tulsa Race Massacre is one of the most devastating acts of racial violence in U.S. history. But how did it come to pass? What exactly happened? And why are the events unknown to so many of us today? These are the questions that the author seeks to answer in this nonfiction account of the Tulsa Race Massacre. I don't think we have to summarize much more. Um, I think that covers that, Greg. So we'll just go, what are your thoughts uh, on this book? So I like this book a lot. I think it's well-written. It's easy to read. Um, it is, so, so the author also has a fiction YA book called The Voting Booth, which we got before this one. 
And it did not, that one has not had a lot of movement, although it's a good one that we've recommended for some classes. But um, I think this is actually going to be, in our library anyway, more popular with readers, this uh, nonfiction. Um, and as a side note, we do these, uh, we've done these first chapter readings to uh, most of our ninth and 10th grade classes at our school. We do them every week and <clears throat> we do the gateways and now we're onto the dogwoods. And some of the gateways spark interest and kids will come up and check them out. But the dogwoods have been much more successful in generating interest in these first chapter readings. And the awesome. first one that really got kids was this one. I had kids almost from every class come up and try to get a copy and we ended up having to put them on hold. I mean, like it was, it was, so I think this is a topic kids are interested in. Yeah. Um, it's written in a very accessible way. And uh, I think, I don't know. I mean, I have a lot of good things to say about it, but I'll stop there. Cause I just will say I like it. And yeah, if you don't have it, I think you should get it. So. Yeah. I, I love hearing that the first chapter readings is going well with the nonfiction because I think, we tend to push kids and we being teachers yeah. and not librarians necessarily, but, but educators that you're like, Oh, you're going to like this story over mm -hmm. here. That's made up. That's going to be more your thing. But a lot of these nonfiction books that are starting to be more targeted to yeah. a teen audience, not yeah. little kids, like picture books, basic 30 right. page biography of somebody and not the like 1800 page Hamilton biography or whatever. That, right. It's a sweet spot. And they're picking the Dogwood Committee in the last two years has found really interesting yes. stories that yes. are out there and not just telling one story and not just focusing on one area. Yeah. Uh, I was very pleased reading this book that it is, as you said, very readable. Um, it is not, it's detailed in a good way, not so detailed that you're just bogged down yes. in minutia. <laughs> yes, agreed. Um, I really really enjoyed the book it is clear that Tulsa is in the last few years especially been getting a lot more uh deserved attention yeah um and it is not the only thing like this that we're going to see I think in these dogwood selections this year right. or in the future because there are more stories that are out there about communities in in our country and others communities that are destroyed and people don't know, or people mm -hmm. don't, uh, don't share, um, these stories as much or hadn't previously. So yeah, very, very interesting book. Very well done. Just Good first pick. Yeah. And I mean, just to kind of piggyback on your comment, I mean, I think so as I've thought about these, you and I have had conversations, I think, I think they've been in the podcast to some extent about kind of some of the factors and the selection of the gateways that I think keeps them from always being actually books that teens want to read, sure. which yeah. is unfortunate because it's a reader's award. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think, so I think one thing that's nice is that that is less the case in these because students who are interested in reading nonfiction are already more, I think, more inclined to read for information that yeah. where a lot of the books that make, not a lot, but a significant portion of the books that make it the gateway finalists are like lessons <laughs> for lack of a better sure. word. 
anyway, so that's one thing. But the other thing I'll say is I think what I've felt as I've done these first chapters with the nonfiction is I have just been amazed at how many kids there are who are readers who do not read fiction. And so like they, I feel like I have been underserving them because I have primarily pushed fiction, yeah. um, assuming that that's what most kids want. So I took uh, the rise and fall of Charles Lindbergh into a classroom last in every classroom last week, every classroom that would let me in. And I did, and like, I was picturing you standing outside yeah. the door with a little window, <laughs> knocking and like, the book. And like, a kid goes, oh, I read that. And I was like, I was like, oh, like for a class, which was just the wrong response, of course. <laughs> and he goes, no, I just like that stuff. And I was like, oh my gosh, where, like, so like, anyway. Yeah. Stuff like that where You're there's. You're saying there are a lot more kids who are interested in. Uh, biographies that are about 300 pages too long yes. about people from the early 1900s than we realized. Yes. That's yeah. Incredible. It's, it's a booming demographic. Yes. <laughs> now yeah. I know. Yeah. I just think that there are, I think this, it was eye-opening to me and I am going to make it a goal to be better about promoting equally nonfiction and fiction next year, because I do think that there are kids who do not want to read yet another YA book. Yeah, and YA novel, I should yep. say. And so, yep. yeah, that's all. No, that's awesome. And I love the idea of the first chapter. So you're going in every week with a different dogwood. You said you were doing gateways first and now dogwood. Yeah, yeah. Very cool. Yeah, it's been great. I mean, the, you know, and some of the dogwoods do generate a lot of interest. And, you know, it's fun because you it's kind of like a book talk, but you also get to read some of the book to them and then yeah. they actually get a feel for it. And kids i mean everybody loves having a story read to them you know i mean i think even adults do to a certain yeah. extent and so um it's been very it's like a low stakes pleasurable way to get in front of a lot of kids they learn my name when they probably would have just thought of me as that mean guy who shushes them in the library yeah. otherwise like yeah stuff like that i still think of you that way yeah and i never worked with you in a library so <laughs> Just the vibe that you give off. Yeah. Yeah. That is my vibe. Yeah. No, very, very cool. I'm glad that you shared that about how you're promoting these books. Um, I'm going to start to steal some of that stuff, I hope. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in the future. Yeah. And I, if the other Dogwood books are anything like this one, as far as quality goes, mm -hmm. uh, I'm very much looking forward to uh, these discussions. I don't know that we'll have an award show for these yeah. because we'll just go like, these are all winners. These yeah. are all really, really, yeah. really good. And they're all different and their own thing. And you should just enjoy them and have your kids read them. Yeah. Um, if you have any thoughts on this book or the, maybe the middle level dogwoods or a different level of books that you want to make sure that we highlight on here uh, or any questions that you may have, if like Dane, you want to learn how to type emails yeah. Feel free to One day. practice on us. Uh, <laughs> send us an email to librarymediachatter at gmail.com. Oh we'll, we'll be right back. This episode of Library Media Chatter is brought to you by Book Scanners. Did you know we can operate at a medium or even low volume? No? Well, neither did we. Book scanners. We hope you enjoy the shrill scream barcodes make when we zap them with our with our lasers. 
we're keeping all of that. We're keeping it just the way it was. I don't think we get paid if we have that kind of. They got. We gotta hear what the thing is, Greg. The sponsors get angry. <laughs> Welcome back to the podcast. You are just in time for a new segment for the new year called "What's Next." We will highlight a new book to our collection that we're excited about, but have not yet had the chance to read. For the first "What's Next," I'm excited that both of my schools recently purchased the Three Mothers. How the Mothers of Martin Luther King Jr., Malcolm X, and James Baldwin Shaped a Nation. I haven't read it yet, but I was intrigued when I saw the title and the subject matter. So I'm pretty pumped. Uh, I don't know if you've seen this out there at all, or uh, I don't even really remember where I saw it. Mm. But when it came in, it was one of those, I'm like, immediately go on a list. Yeah. These are three individuals that I'm interested in. So you kind of focusing on uh, their backgrounds more than just like, Hey, did you know James Baldwin wrote a lot of great stuff? Um, <laughs> I'm really intrigued uh, to get to that one. It sounds awesome. Yeah, that sounds really good. So that's The Three Mothers. Uh, feel free to look that one up and check it out. And if you read it, let us know uh, if you enjoy it. And if, if and when I get to that portion of my pile, which is hopefully sooner than later, uh, I will report back on how amazing it is. Mm-hmm. And with that, remember... Read responsibly. Use a bookmark.